Welcome everybody to the C-Suite Marketing Perspectives podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. We've got a real treat today. Randy Wooten is here. Randy is currently the CEO of Maxio, but Randy, you've been a three-time CEO. You've been a CRO. You've been a chief strategy officer. You've worked at companies like Microsoft and Salesforce. Uh, I want you to tell us a little bit about um, the work that you've done with CMOs as well. But we're here to talk today about what do B2B CEOs want from their CMOs? Well, here thanks, we are Steve. in 2023, right? And no. there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into this and the success of a company. And that's an important C-suite role. So, but maybe is there, tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're doing and, and specifically a little bit about Maxio as well. Well, thanks, Steve. So yes, I've been uh, CEO a couple of times. At some point I'll get it right, I hope. But uh, it's certainly been valuable to have uh, several different experiences. I was a public company CEO. I was CEO of a private company that we then sold to a strategic where, to your point, I was uh, a chief strategy officer, which is wonderful not to be CEO for a little bit. And to watch a great CEO, Doug Winter, run Seismic and, and get that opportunity uh, and to work closely with the executive team and the, the branders and the CMO there. And then most recently, I've joined Maxio, which is a billing and financial operations solution for B2B SaaS companies. We help make uh, bring order to the chaos of financial operations and help companies figure out what they're doing and how to get funded and how to stay funded. And certainly happy to chat with anyone who's B2B SaaS looking to make sense of the, the chaos. Um, prior to Maxio, I did spend about 20 years in marketing tech and ad tech. Uh, from the early age, the days of internet advertising, the company I started with, Avenue Way, uh, at the time claimed they invented uh, uh, the, the, the action tag, which led to all the targeting and was a customer targeting uh, product manager, and then was selling technology and working to marketers and marketing departments at agencies and advertisers for 20-something years. Uh, as, and so it was great. It was a great experience. So I had, to your point, the opportunity to meet a lot of marketing professionals at different stages in their cre careers and fortunately get to work with uh, some great CMOs, both B2C and B2B. Well, I think you're probably uniquely qualified to answer the question, what do CEOs want from their CMOs? And you had you had talked about before we hit the record button, to kind of you've got a view of the evolution of the CMO and, and where they've arrived at here today. What is your point of view on that? And it's probably not new, Steve. I think lots of people would say, hey, if you look back, how's the CMO's role evolved? I would say I think CMOs of yesteryear made their uh, earn their keep as brand folks. And the the value was on their creativity. And this could be content. This could be stories. This could be images. Think of Mad Men. Right. And um, the way you're measuring success was van vanity metrics. So in the uh, Internet world, there'd be website visits. And I think what happened then was the advent of digital. And the advent of digital played out in a couple of ways. One, you started moving to uh, the CMOs needing to have a seat at the table of revenue and being responsible for MQLs. And so it was a combination of the technology and the data to help you understand how those website visits converted to leads and how they get dropped into the funnel. And then what is the set of content that you're, um, uh, and engagement strategies you're using to engage those leads, to convert them. And so I think that's phase two is partner with the CRO to drive a pipeline. And you know that tension between uh, pipeline, who's responsible for it, and we don't have enough, you point at each other. I know as a CRO, I used to do, say that to my CMO, where are my Glengarry? leads. What, what are you doing? You're you're not doing enough. So that's phase two. So first, first 
incarnation is brand. Second incarnation is like tech and data. Third incarnation, I think, is around really thinking about MQL versus SQL, where you're moving from the partnership to creating marketing, so MQLs, to SAOs. So with my head of marketing today, we um, we only talk about SAOs, dollars per SAOs. And MQLs, are it's interesting, but it's not relevant to the outcomes. And I think that's where a head of marketing moves from being part of the CRO table to being part of the C-suite. And starting to help understand how do you allocate dollars across these different initiatives. So what do you invest in marketing versus what do you invest in BDRs versus what do you invest in additional um, uh, sales content training, et cetera. So now the fourth phase, I think we're we're broaching on, uh, which is really around B2B marketers focus on customer marketing. So especially in a time of a recession, it's easier to sell into your current customers where you already have an MSA, you already have a, a, a foothold, you already have... Uh, someone who likes you. And so if you're able to demonstrate value to that customer, hopefully you'll get the upsell, the expansion or um, the case study or something. And so I do think that evolution from the heady time to growth at all costs to now we're in this efficient growth world where you've got to look at your current customer base and commercialize it with your cust- head of customer success. So I think to your point, of what do we want from a CMO? I think there's a couple one. Number one is be focused on value. How are you demonstrating value versus just uh, creative stories and images and great ads? Number two is this interconnectedness with the C-suite. So with the CRO building out the uh, marketing sales funnel, and then with the CCO or the head of customer success is building out this customer expansion motion. And then with one of them working on the partner marketing. Uh, The third thing I would say beyond being part of the E-suite and really leaning into solving business problems is when you think about... When I think about marketing, there's probably 11 different sub-functions that you could be uh, working on. Um, I think one of the cores is the the head of marketing really has to understand. It's like everyone has to know the customer, but the head of the marketing has to be in the head of the customer. They got to know the more persona. They got to know what their needs are. They got to almost be like a psychologist so that when they're building content, it's compelling content. It drives people from sitting on the side of the uh side of the game to getting in, all in on the game. And uh, that's a marketing thing. And it's really hard. We did some work uh, around our positioning in the spring with a company called Firebricks, which I cannot um, more highly recommend. It was awesome. But just the way they helped us define the problem we're going after and then uh, doing the research with our target personas, which are primarily CFOs or heads of finance, and really trying to find out if the messaging that we were putting, so the positioning and the messaging was going to resonate, that was going to compel them to take that next step to engage with us in a conversation. I mean, you have just said a mountain of really important things. And, you know, one of the big things that I know that that CMOs are thinking today is I have to be, along with the C-suite, the rest of the C-suite, focused on revenue, right? Deep pipeline penetration. It's not about creating MQLs, throwing it over the wall anymore, and then somebody else takes care of it, right? So that's that's really, really super important. But what you just got into there was adding value to the company. And adding value to the company is more than that pipeline penetration. Adding value to the company is about how the company is actually perceived, yeah. right? This this yeah. expertise, this trusted advisor status, right? Yep. How do you, what's your perspective on that, right? You know, in terms of 
Because if you do that and you do it well, right, it has a halo effect over everything. Yeah. Because advisors, guess what? They make better products too, right? You know, yeah. like, so the rising tide lifts all, all boats. But in terms of what you want from a CMO and adding value to the expertise of the company, how do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I think um the the look, one of the big challenges in B2B marketing is a lot of B2B marketing is awful. And that's because you can put up any website, you can put up any copy, there's zero cost to produce. Why is advertising, TV, TV advertising so great? It's because it costs a million dollars for a Super Bowl ad. People spend a lot of time thinking about it, putting it together, make sure it's compelling. And even then you have bad ads. But I think in B2B marketing, you just end up with a lot of lazy marketing, which is, hey, I can write it. So I'm going to send it either as an email or put it up as a blog or I'm going to put it on my website copy. And so I think the core of a marketer for me is a storyteller, someone who understands that they're trying to reach a person to my point earlier, kind of like they're a psychologist and they're reaching into the head of someone. They understand the pain that person is going through, the constraints they're operating within, how to take them into the, the valley of despair and, and point to the world, the promised land in a, in a compelling way and in an authentic way. And I think that comes down to the core capabilities of a marketer to drive positioning, messaging, rooted in thought leadership. And so every one of the things I love about being in B2B SaaS and why I choose these types of companies is I want to do something no one else has done. And to do that, you're charting a category. You're, you're defining a category. Uh, there's a great book, um, uh, Play Bigger, about category creation. And I love it because it's like, look, define the problem that you're focused on. And then how are you uniquely positioned to solve that? Well, that takes a lot of hard work. And with our positioning work, we probably spent four or five months going through it and trying to nail it and lock it down. And I don't know if it's right, but it is well thought out and it takes a lot of cycles. At one point in my life, I actually taught writing. I was a, a, a military guy teaching at the Naval Academy. I taught English and literature. And I told the, the, the people that I taught, the midshipmen, writing is a misnomer. It's really rewriting. And that is because you don't really know what you want to say until you get down to the conclusion paragraph of your five paragraph theme. And I think B2B marketing is one of those areas where you got to create space and time to think deeply. And as a marketer, I want you to be able to write. I want you to be able to create copy that is going to be really compelling. So for example, I have everybody write Word documents and, and show me the argument of, of either your operating plan or the campaign that we're going to go on. Your campaign brief has to be compelling. Just don't put up an ad and make it pink and make it blink. Why does that ad, how does it fit into a campaign story, a narrative that we're, we're working on? So one example, uh, at Maxio, we have 2,300 customers. We have about $15 billion of uh, billing and invoicing going through the system. We created the Maxio Institute. The Maxio Institute compiles all that data and it's real data, not survey data. And we've produced now two versions of it, which talk about what's happening in the broader B2B SaaS space. We're taking, we're, we're carving out a position in the marketplace to say, we know this better than anybody. And we're going to share it with you. And we're going to do it in really interesting ways. So we're going to produce a report. We're going to have uh, dinners, expert voices dinners, where we invite people together, uh, prospects, customers, industry analysts to come talk about those sort of things. We're going to have our campaigns rooted in it. We were just at Saster. Everything we did at Saster, we did a presentation at Saster was rooted in the Maxio Institute. But it's real thought leadership that took a lot of time to, to organize the data, make sense of the data, wrap it up in a, in a vehicle, put it out in the marketplace, and then activate it through our sales and marketing channels. 
totally reliant on the CMO to take the data and convert it into stories. And that's the, I, every company these days, you talk about a, an evolution of, of CMOs, but a level, evolution of, of B2B companies, we're all data companies these days. Yeah. SaaS, right. SaaS in particular, right? Yeah. But yeah. our clients have this much, they have this view of their data and they're probably not even looking at it. But what you said is the Maxo Institute, look, we have data across the entire industry and there are insights and there are benchmarks and there's learnings there that only Maxio can bring to the marketplace. And that I, I think I wrote a whole ebook on this on the the power of digital transformation and what SaaS companies can be doing. So I'm a hundred percent with you here. I and I think that, I mean, to your point, this is what I think is so hard about being a head of marketing or CMO in this day and age for B2B SaaS is you have to be tech fluent. And you got to be creatively inspiring. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that that is true for all B2B marketers that you you focus on when you're you're talking about the, the three things you want from a CMO, you want them very, very customer focused and you want them constantly listening to the customer and the voice of the customer. Well, here we you don't really think about it this way, but very, very few times in our sales group in our marketing and our customer support, do we actually have somebody that's part of the ICP? We yeah. don't. We don't, right? Yeah. So what it means is we are a proxy for them. So yeah. if we're not on a regular basis, we're not out there because it changes, right? Right. COVID is an example of change. Digital transformation is an example of change, right? New technology enters the marketplace, examples of change. How on a thought leadership basis, the way that you're doing it through the Maxio Institute, those dinners, the analysts that you're bringing in, it's not because it's the same news that we were talking about last year, right? There is change and transformation that's happening all the time. So if the CMO that's running marketing in the organization and working with sales and that and that content that keeps that ABM process alive and adding value. If we're not on top of what's happening in the marketplace and how it's impacting the risks and the and the problems that our ICPs are are addressing, then we're going to fall behind, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, what I would offer this is one of the fun things about being again in in technology is it's constantly evolving, and so. Your thought leadership, I think it. Uh, if you if you're onto a topic which is one that is compelling, you can mine it for a long time. Yes, yes. and and you just keep coming back to it because you don't want to just throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and you know spray and pray and hope someone pays attention. It's 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 almost that that the discipline of saying these are the three things that matter and you've got to make a bet. You got to make a couple of bets. And then you got to commit energy and effort to building the point of view and then commit energy and dollars to ex uh, activating that through campaigns and commit efforts across the marketing team to um, coordinate that execution. Um, so certainly you want to be evolving it, but you do want to make a couple of bets and say, we're going to do this over the course of the year. We think these are the three things that we can opine on because either we're like the system of record for billing and invoicing, like no one else is going to have that. So we can, we can own that corner of the room we're not going to be talking about uh, uh content like seismic like they could own the corner of the room around content distributed through sales and so understanding what your core value prop is and where you have a, a a moat and a wall right like how do you build your moat and wall and but the cmo again they're not they're not building the moat and the wall what they're building is telling the story about the castle but they're also they should be helping the rest of the organization say i'm going to help you test 
what is the right moat, the right wall, the right totally. Right yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you're right. You're you you are right. I think I think that the um, yeah, and that's the challenge of the the head of marketing, right? Is you have all of these. I think of it as it's like. Uh, it's the hardest job in some ways because you have all of these different functions that report to you from content, demand gen, product marketing, lead gen, brand, social media comms, et cetera. And I think you know, one of your opening questions was, what do CEOs want from CMOs? What I would say is the CMO has to like understand the stage of the company, the context in which the company is operating in, the type of CEO they have, and how does that CMO augment that CEO? for that next stage of growth. So if you're in a turnaround situation, that's really different than if you're in hyper growth. Um, uh, if you're sort of retrenching to own a specific segment in one market versus opening a new market, if you're going, so we sell to B2B SaaS and I am focused on uh, CFOs, heads of finance, early stage founders and CEOs. Those are our only three personas within that one ICP. I talk to analysts and investors and they're like, oh, Randy, you should go over here in this segment and this TAM. And I'm like, totally get it but we got to land this first. And so with my head of marketing, we talk about, you know, how does that, how do we go after these guys and know we've got it right before we open up and go someplace else? But I think sometimes what happens with CMOs and CEOs is they have different skills and experiences and different expectations for what's needed at that moment in time for the company. You know, I'm going to ask you a question that I, that I didn't set up. And so I don't hope I don't throw you for a loop here. All right. But you know, it's well, well documented, right? COVID accelerated this. In B2B sales, you know, the the trend is towards self-serve, right? Right. Right now, B2B buyers, they're they're deciding they're 70 or so percent of the way through their research before yep. they ever want to talk to somebody in the organization. So yep. the thought leadership that you're talking about, right? That's sparking conversation earlier in the process. Yep. Because you're doing something highly valuable to them. You're bringing these communities of their peers and the analysts and then the, the reports that only you have. And you're doing that in an interesting way. My Here's my question. My point of view is that marketing is taking on a more significant portion of the sales process and role. Because mm -hmm. that's what our buyers want. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to do their research on their terms, mm -hmm. on their time, before they ever talk to somebody, if they ever talk to somebody inside of the organization. That's the trend line that we're on. What's your point of view on that? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I don't know if it's taking on the sales role. because I think a sales role for me. More of the sales role. like More of the sales role. So I, I think of. The, yeah, I you know for the sales role for me when I because I've sold right yep. at the end of the day the sales role is you're in on a specific prospect, evaluating what the doing the discovery calls, finding out what the pain is, tailoring the solution, doing the negotiation. Yep. I think that with marketing is helping on that front. It's it's ensuring that the people who are showing up right. So it's like the buyer's journey. A buyer has to appreciate they have a problem. Then they got to appreciate the technology is going to solve that problem. Then they got to understand how Maxio is relative to the other uh, competitive technologies and decide they want to play with Maxio. And then you get into the commercial negotiation and the evaluation by finance and et cetera. So in that early stage qualification, buyer qualification, I would say that marketing helps you move from having a huge marketing funnel to make it a tighter marketing cylinder 
So you're identifying what we call high intent conversions, people that are coming in and stepping forward saying, I got a problem. I know technology has got a problem. And at this point, I want to find out if Maxio can solve that problem. Right. Now, right. that I think marketing is probably doing more of the lifting the water there than perhaps in the past when people might kick the tires to reach to a salesperson and say, give me a demo. Um, right. But to your point, this is where we launched a new website. We've now done three iterations of the website over the last nine months to fill it with information that's that's um, structured in compelling ways where if you come in from different angles, you can get the answer you want. It's almost like, to your point, buyers are, uh, they want their own journey. They, they, they want to pick their own adventure. And so you don't have a little picture book where you can pick your own adventure, but your website becomes that. And so they jump in and they look at a product, then they look at a solution, and then they look at a resource because they want to find out if you have SDKs. And so your digital storefront, your website has to be organized differently than it used to be, which is a bunch of brochureware. It has to get the right information, the right people at the right time, where they are in their consideration set, and make it super easy for them to move around and get the information they need as they're building up a a point of view. But this is why, Steve, I think going back to the point we were talking about um, marketers, like we launched this beautiful brand last year. And our, and I think when you look at B2B SaaS, you have those brands that were designed by a product guy on a whiteboard. And then you got brands where you have real, you know, genius brand people that help you create super compelling imagery. And so I would say when we launched our new brand in, in, in last year and then really breathed life into the new website, it all of a sudden, up leveled us, I think, and and made us seem more professional. And then you got to say, oh gosh, well, all that content and the structure we had in our old websites can't come to the fancy hotel. You know, we're Ritz Carlton <laughs> now. We're not, you know, we're not Motel Six. And I, and that is a creative journey that the CMO has to lead on. You also then have to have the the UX UI understanding for how people engage, information architecture, and you have to have the compelling thought leadership so that if you if you're in the demand creation phase and someone comes to your website, they got an easy way to engage with your content. So like our Maxio Institute growth report, how does that play in with the case studies? How does the blog reinforce it? So it's like, you got to have this real um, North star around what you want your experience to be for the people coming to your site. What's your brand identity? What's your brand voice? And that permeates through your content. It permeates through your website experience. It permeates through your, your outreach and if it's consistent, it, it it it's like it resonates, right? And it creates a more it's it, it, you're reaching the heart, right? It creates a more compelling engagement with things. If it's if it's dissonant, it causes people to go, I don't know what the hell you're doing. It doesn't make sense, or you're trying to do too much. And like going back to that idea of the the head of marketing CMOs, your chief storyteller, and and the key piece of chief of telling a great story is understanding what it is you want to tell them and doing it in a way that makes it really compelling. You, you can't understand. I, I just did a whole podcast episode on storytelling and, and how important it is and, and, and how actually telling stories is 22 times more memorable than if you were just to say, kind of like in the demo and here's what we do and here's the features and the benefits and right. So there's, there's actual scientific proof behind storytelling and how important it is. And, you know, you've touched a number of times on part of that story, an important part of that story. Product marketing is a huge part of that story. Thought leadership is a huge part of that story. And I think where I was going 
and, and asking your opinion in terms of like marketing taking over a bigger portion of the sales process, not the core selling, I'm not saying that, but you know, like Edelman LinkedIn, they did a study and they're like, you know, hey, 90 plus percent of C-suite consume thought leadership with the companies that they do business with. It gets you on a consideration list when you weren't there before. It expands you know, the amount of, you know, services that they're purchasing from a company. So when we talk about marketing and the fact that they're consuming this thought leadership, right, earlier in that purchase process in a world where they want to do it all themselves, right? They want it. They want that self-serve. So that to me is a factual reason because you can talk brand, you can talk thought leadership at this level, and you can kind of say that's long-term, you know, it's, it's awareness, it's top of funnel, but thought leadership is actually very day-to-day, -day, right? You know, yeah. that journey that you're talking about on that, on the website and coming in, you have no idea if they're going to read that, that Maxu Institute report as part of the final decision-making of what they're doing with your business, right? It, it transcends that's not Steve saying that, right? That's the studies, right? You know, that thought leadership impacts every portion of the buyer's journey. And it's spaghetti. 100% agree. I, yeah, I, I, I guess um, the point I was making was, I think you, you got to be careful with thought leadership and that it has to be super crisp, compelling, coordinated, and 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 um point i'm making like focused like you've got three things you're talking about now you activate that lots of different ways and we branches it, may, it might be like a root of a tree versus branches like you want to be rooted in an idea that you uniquely own so for example i'm writing right now on uh what does it mean to be a ceo look i there are people out there are much better ceos than i've ever been i've done it three times i've learned a lot so i've started this whole series on linkedin that people can go read it's the six secrets of success for ceos um, I'm only writing about my experience. And so no one can kind of take that away from me. They can argue with me and say, I'm not right. Or you, here's a different type of secret. Right. But what is interesting is it's, it's coming from a real place of, you know, intellectual humility and, and authenticity around, look, I'd love to learn more about how to be a better CEO. So I think that when you're thought leadership, it has to come from something you really know, either individually. So like what you're doing, your thought leadership right now about CMOs, Right. For us, the thought leadership has to be rooted, and I think it has to be rooted in what is a compelling differentiation of your company. So that the point being is, there's lots of different branches you can you can you can go off on that. And, and to your point, you got to evolve it. You can't have the Maxio Institute report just once a year. You got to do it every quarter, or there might be like we've got an angle in terms of uh, we're exploring um, growth rates by stage of companies, or uh, great growth uh, growth rates by size of company, growth rate by uh, billing model, PLG versus SLG. This is all data that we have that is unique. And so um, even at Saster, for example, the guy, um, Jason Justin Lemkin, the guy who runs Saster, forgive me if Scott is, I think that's right, used our slide in his keynote about the Maxio Institute report to demonstrate, mm -hmm. to ask the question, has the tech uh, recession recovered? Well, gosh, I could not have asked for a better <laughs> free advertisement to have the guy in front of all those attendees at Saster use our slide. Now he said a lot of other things, but for my little small company to have the slide up on the on the main stage, like huge, huge win, huge Absolutely. win. Absolutely, congratulations, but, that's amazing. Thanks, That, but that comes from being rooted in the thing that we know better than anybody else. And then turning it into a story that people are like, oh gosh, I'm a series A company and I'm, I'm $2 million. What's been happening over the last six quarters in terms of the growth rates? 
And you know what it, that story that tells me too is that you talked about a, a, a point of view, right? And every yeah. company has to have a point of view. It has to be unique. Yep. You know, Forbes has said even it has to have a little bit of healthy dose of controversy, right? Sure. You can't be saying yeah. the same thing that everybody else is saying. Yeah. Right? So when you talk about thought leadership and it has to come rooted, right? I talk about it as a through line yeah. with the content that you know our clients and in, in, in the B2B industry, your thought leadership has to have this point of view, that through line that runs through all of that content that supports everything you're doing, you got specifically it. the products, right? That yeah. you know, it's ultimately that thought leadership has to support, has to tie into that pipeline penetration where somebody's saying, okay, yeah. you guys are experts at this. Yeah. What is it that you do? And I'm going to have a better perception of what it is. Like we said earlier, like it's going to raise the perceptions of everything, including the product. Yeah, so it's, it's, I love that. I love that point of view. Just one other story, which I think is hilarious uh, to your point around, you got to be provocative. Um, so I did write an article uh, to introduce this series, The Six Secrets of CEO Success. And the article was, I'm a professional CEO and I make I can make founders' lives miserable. And it's my number one post on LinkedIn. And it, it's a little controversial. Now in it, I, you know, I don't, I right. talk about why I can make people's lives miserable and when you need to hire a professional CEO and that sort of thing. But it was just interesting that it's the, I think it was the provocative title that got a lot of people sort of interested in, well, huh, what does he mean by that? I'm a founder. I hate professional CEOs or other business operators who want to be a professional CEO. Like, wait, wait, what's happening? So I do think you're spot on. You've got to, it's kind of like, you got to get this balance between original ideas. Just don't be part of the echo chamber, hitting other people's topics and not doing anything, but maybe adding a little top spin. So it's got to be original. Yeah. In my point, so I, I think it's got to be rooted in data, right? You've got to, you just can't opine. Uh, number two is it's got to be a little, or number three, it's got to be a little provocative. And number four, I think it's got to be humorous. And I think if you land the, that balance between those four things in this day and age where people have like three seconds attention spans before they decide to invest another 15 seconds or for this podcast, a half an hour, there's got to be something that has that balance across those four things. I'm 100% with you. The number one theme that we're running this year it's getting like 17% click-through rates in our email marketing campaigns. And it's rooted in data is why do B2B CMOs fail so quickly? Yeah, perfect. I mean, that's exactly right. right. And I think there's a lot of, I've, I've heard somewhere, maybe this is public company, but um, I think it's true. Like the CMO's uh, uh, average tenure at companies, 18 months. Yeah. It's half that of your role, CEOs, half of it. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that goes back to the earlier conversation we're having. If you as a CMO you either get a new CEO or you walk into a new job, the first thing you got to do is ensure that you're aligned around context of the business context, the stage and the objectives and what marketing can do. Cause you can't do it all. You can't do all 11 of those things equally. So what does success look like for the head of marketing and have almost an explicit contract with the CEO for my heads of marketing? I always, well, every function, I have them do a operating plan. And that operating plan is what are they going to achieve over this year? What are the priorities? Uh, it translates into a scorecard with metrics they're going to be tracking and it and the budget that's associated with it. And we review it every month, every quarter. And at the halfway through, we go, okay, let's reflect on what we learned this half and make sure we're lying going forward. And you have a document, an artifact, which captures what does success look like and how are you going to go achieve it? And it's written down. It's not in PowerPoint with a voiceover. It's written down. 
Yeah. And it, it's the line in the sand. It's no yeah. longer CMOs or we're, we, we, you know, what we do, there's no attribution to it. Right. You know, yeah. it's just kind of what we're, we're making people aware and feeling good about the company. And it's all, you know, in that kind of never, never land. It's yeah. that that's past. We're past that. And then to your point, the evolution of, of a CMO, Randy, we have covered a lot of territory here, but I'm going to ask you one last question. Okay. If there was a takeaway for the CMOs, the people that are operating as CMOs, head of marketing in their company, reporting directly to you, the CEO. What's your single bit of advice that you'd want them to take away from this podcast? Gosh, I think I just gave it was write the operating plan, have a marketing strategy that translates into an operating plan and, and ensure that you get buy-in from your fellow executives, because you're going to have dependencies on the RevOps person, the sales, the CS, like the marketing person is dependent upon a whole bunch of people to be successful. And that you you have that hard conversation with the CEO about trade-offs. Like right now, we're, my, my head of marketing runs our BDR team. And um, one of the things we're talking about is where do we put that investment? And if I gave you an incremental $100,000, would you hire a new BDR or would you put more money in digital? And the marketing person has to be able to say, hey, I based on all the trends we've had, I think this is the bet. And, and what we're seeing in the marketplace now, to your point, everything's changing. As we come out of the summer doldrums, where do we want to be out in front? Where are we going to make that extra investment? And so I think the, 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 the takeaway is the balance between heart and head or data and creativity and having it locked down on a piece of paper where you can get aligned on what success means. I have to tell you, I want to talk more, but I think... We'll probably save that for a version two. <laughs> awesome, Steve. Well, I enjoyed it. I love marketing. I miss talking to my uh, CMO friends. It's one of the things I have a lot of passion about. You can obviously tell. And I think it's one of them. It's, it's, well, it's the art and science of marketing, right? It's just one of these functions where you get to be both super creative and you are required to be, uh, to use data, make decisions. It's just awesome. Well, if, if people had follow-up questions, uh, yeah. Putting up a link to your LinkedIn profile, would that be good? Totally. LinkedIn profile. Um, that's where you can read some of the articles I've written. Yeah. Uh, and if you're interested in being a CEO, um, read the articles. And give me some feedback. I'd love to hear. Uh, and then um, email randy.wooten. It's W-O-O-T-T-O-N at maxio.com. But um, you can find me. And I'm happy to always spend a minute or two chatting with folks if they have questions or um, uh, want to learn more. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate that. The ability to help. And, and this is doing this too. Okay? This is reaching out to the community of CMOs that want to know why they fail so quickly and how to, what we do to, to fix that. So Yeah. So here's my ask to all you B2B CMOs is go talk to your CFOs and ask them what they're doing for their billing and financial operations solution. If they don't know or they're freaked out, that then send me an email as well. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's a good way to reach out. <laughs> well, right, I thank you. We really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Thank you.